Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST. Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify. You know what to do. Subscribe, rate, and review. Didn't think we'd be here so quickly to talk about one of these topics, but with the news that breaks in the New York City market, the Subway Sports Talk podcast must comment on said news. Of course, here... My designated hitters to talk about some Yankees news. I thought we were done with this. It's basketball season. It's football season. Nonetheless, my guys would have been here anyways to talk Knicks. Alec Argento, what's up, brother? I want to do this sub, but I'm just too angry and heartbroken by what the, the organization did today. So I'm just going to be here being melodramatic and whatnot over here in the corner. So leave me alone for a little bit, okay? Sounds fine. <laughs> I know you'll be more excited in, you know, 15 minutes, give or take, when we get to the Knicks talk where... I think your your only sports happiness is deriving from right now, which is a very slippery slope. Oh, uh, dude, it's so scary. The only thing that I have, like, I have right now, is stability with the Knicks, and like, <laughs> that is a very, very thin thread that I'm 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 walking on in that regard. Yeah, not what you expect. Typically, signing up to be a New York sports fan. Uh, so we will obviously talk Knicks. Knicks deep dive preview coming up, but we have to talk on this uh, Yankees news. Aaron Boone signed. Brian Cashman said words. And there's things that we have to say in response. Also with us, the designated hitter, Andrew Kalanya. What's up, guy? Yeah, I'm ready to, to break down this hard, these are uh, these hard-hitting facts uh today and just the you know the real topics that are on the New York City uh sports fans' mind. I mean, are we are the Rangers going to put Alexis Lafreniere on the first line, or is he gonna be staying on? the second or third line with Ryan Reese as his winger um, to kind of give him that more protection and really to break down uh, the Rangers right here, right now. So let's do this. If those were that English, if those were fake names, like me and like, there was no chance Alec and I could have even called that out, but it sounds like you have a strong grip on the Rangers. What do they play two games? Yeah. How they do two, three, two, two uh, the, they're, uh, they're one and two at the, at the moment. Terrible New York sports in the, in the toilet, in the toilet, the Brooklyn Nets lose to the Milwaukee Bucks on opening night. The Rangers talk is now fulfilled for the year on the podcast. <laughs> you know, I do have some people Aaron, randomly always tell me like, yo, you know, you should really talk hockey on the pod. I'm like, it's hard enough to keep up with the Mets, Yankees, NBA, Knicks, Nets, football, Giants, and Jets. You think I could throw in a, a Rangers, Islanders, Devils take into my, into my life? There's no shot. I can't handle that type of stuff. Well, they have uh, Henrik Lundqvist since he retired. He's now in the uh, doing the studio for the Rangers, and I have to say, like, uh, better than average. Uh, you know, you, typically when you have like the the retired player commit there, they can really be hit or miss. But I was actually really surprised by uh, some of his analysis, and he always looks good in a suit. So uh, that's a plus for the Rangers. Yeah, does. I could sign up for that one. Very they, handsome. They call him the Very king. Sign. The king. Mm-hmm. Yes, look at that. Hockey talk. Good stuff. All right, let's move on back to some other talk. So I didn't expect to do hockey talk. I also, like, I didn't expect to have this Yankees conversation right now. Now, obviously, we know any day the Mets could hire a GM and get a new manager. We knew any day 
a managerial position or decision could be made for the Yankees. But who would have thunk that the the double, you know, there was double damage done. Not only was Boone extended to continue to be the, the Yankees manager, but then Cashman comes out and says how it was a, such a great thing that happened to bring Boone back, and everybody loves him. Alec has thoughts. He's ready to shake his head. I loved your tweet earlier, by the way. And uh, we have to talk about it. How do we not talk about it? So, Al, I need to give you the floor first because I, I really enjoyed your one tweet with the GIF. You can get into that if you want. Um, what was more infuriating, the, the three-plus-year extension or the thoughts around said extension? I don't like the curse, but it was the giant fuck you to the fan base. I mean, the, the entire presser, in and of itself, re-signing Boone is so tone-deaf to what the organization needs. And, okay, you want to say it's not his fault, he needs talent around it. But the fan base needs change. Like you want to reward mediocrity for, for for so long, and like this narrative out there that oh well, he's made the playoffs four times. We've squeaked into the playoffs in a wild card capacity every year, right? The team has regressed significantly, and then we Cashman tries to defend his the the organization by saying uh, that uh, how dare he literally said how dare the fan base um, try uh, try to complain that we don't spend enough money. We haven't had an increase in payroll since 2005. We have the same uh, salary payroll right now that we had in 2005 while their revenue is skyrocketed as an organization. And like, I understand the idea that, okay, you, if the Rays are doing it at a quarter of the, uh, the payroll that we are, that we should be able to do it, but that's not who we are. We're, we're heavyweights and they're, you know, welterweights or whatever you want to call them. They need to do what they need to do to be successful. Our way of doing things is to be ballers. Uh, and we're not doing that. So then that and, and um, the idea that he was saying, which is what I, or the tweet you were referencing, that Cashman was saying that um, all the, uh, he would be like the number one free agent uh, out there if he, if he uh, was, if he, he went out into the open market. I'm like, no, he wasn't, first of all. Uh, and second of all, he had one good season out of his four years here, five years here, whatever it was, uh, and then has regressed every other year since. Inherited a team that was a game away from the World Series. So, like, you want to get rid of Phil Nevin? Sure. You know, you want to get rid of Marcus Timms? Sure, I agree with that. You have to clean house. This 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 team is you know has no position going forward. You you have to completely reorganize this team. This guy has clearly had no ability to keep a clubhouse or to energize the team or to hold them accountable. That's why you know I know he's good with the players because they like him, but sometimes you need a hard nosed coach and a hard nosed coach who can get the most out of his players especially in New York, which has always shown a lot of success. I mean, look at Tibbs in the NBA. Uh, I mean, with the Knicks, it's just, it's a giant middle finger to the fan base right now. And to tell us essentially that we're not grateful for what we have, that we should count our blessings for getting knocked out and, and watching the team have no idea how to manage a game or to go through these ridiculous losing streaks that we went through this year with the roster that they constructed. There's nobody to blame, but, you know, Boone and Cashman, and you can blame Hal for sure for not spending money, but at the very least, this roster has been constructed horribly. The coaching staff is living in the stone age uh, with people like Marcus Timms, who would like, he's trying to play like it's 2007 out there or it's in, it's in the steroid era. So I don't know. I've, I've never felt this disillusioned with the Yankee uh, organization before in my entire life. I feel genuinely like 
they don't give a shit about us. And I know that they don't give a shit about the, you know, the individual, like they're not my friends or anything like that, but they don't care what the organ, what, what the fan base wants is asking for at all. And it's not like they got him for an extra year and they, they had a, a club option. They got him for three, possibly four years. And let's be honest here, that fourth year is all but guaranteed. We, we all know that he's going to do it. And I'm not surprised that any of this happened, but it still doesn't make it like less shitty. So that's my soapbox. Drew can go. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing was like the longer that it was taking them to come to this announcement, the longer it was very apparent that Boone was coming back because if you're going to make a managerial change there are plenty like mlb doesn't like it when other teams make announcements while games are going on so there were like a couple of off days in the early rounds of the playoffs where they had the opportunity where no teams were playing where they had the opportunity to say you know like the cardinals did and the the padres did when they and the mets did when they all let their managers go when the yankees were noticeably silent and then the get the announcement that Nevin and PJ Pilateri and Marcus Timms are all gone that was that just sealed it right there that Boone is you know was coming back and that's the kind of Alex point there about the Yankees uh payroll being the the same which is he's absolutely right and and the crazy thing was um Aaron Boone said in his uh press conference after they were eliminated he was like yeah the the league is caught up to us. Um, and I was just, and, I, and that, that kind of quote kind of stuck with me even more than some of the bullshit that was, that was said today, because like, what have the Yankees done in, in the last, you know, decades and you know, decade plus to say that, that, that you still hold this status as the, this team, like the, that, the, that had all these great hit the, the dynasty years. Like it's still, it's still trying to carry, that legacy with them we're, we're 20 years from from that from from the dynasty from that from right. that everyone likes to talk about like the yankees aren't the yankees and that's i think that's what pissed me off even more like again the the average payroll in 2005 for all the other clubs was 70 million dollars the yankees had a 205 million dollar payroll now the yankees still have a 205 million dollar payroll and the average uh mlb uh salary is 130 million dollars and so if you if you're if you're doing the math along with me the yankees rightfully and and, and it's always this kind of sports this uh w this uh, sports talk radio comment like what do you want the yankees to have a 300 400 million dollar payroll they they essentially did you know uh 15 years ago compared to the other league so yeah i i do want them to absolutely blow by the luxury tax and for them to finally use their market advantage. Um, I, I couldn't, uh, I'm just kind of at a loss for what this just like says, uh, just a, they're saying they're okay with mediocrity. They're okay with players, star stud players that, that, that all had all this, this hype coming up, uh, whether it was Glaber Torres, Gary Sanchez, Miguel Andujar, uh, uh, Clint Frazier, Frazier. All, all these guys. These are these are these were top guys that showed, you know, at the beginning of the of this tenure uh, of Boots tenure that they had all this promise and all this ability, and they've all gone backwards. Every single one of them, uh, and it's that and and that and they have they play sloppy. They 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 killed them on the base pass this year, and they like 
and the sloppy play is not just this year. It's it was last year too. So like, what are you what are you saying by bringing Aaron Boone's not the problem here? Like then you then your process is the problem. And and you know they the Yankees. I I will admit they do do some things well. They're able to Cashman's able to unearth talent um, from unknown places. Like when they got Voight and Gregorius. And Aaron Hicks, and then you can a bunch of Clay Holmes from the Pirates able to find these guys. I think that's something that Cashman does well. But the the development that's happened under Cashman and then Boone, it's unacceptable. And to watch these these players that went from core core guys to almost unplayable is I, I don't know why they would. How, how they would come to the decision. I, I guess this is Cashman doubling down on his guy. Like, this is the yeah. guy I picked. I don't want to come out and say I made a mistake four years ago. So here's going to be three more years, three plus years of this. And, you know, if if it comes time where he goes, then I guess I'm going to go too. Because I, I, I can't see this ending any other way. It's either somehow... There's some kind of miraculous turnaround um, where everyone showed the door in three right. years. Uh, that's, and that's, and I don't understand why they didn't give like a prove it deal to him or something like that. Like if you're they gave him a, a long term contract. Didn't he right? have a deal a year on his deal already? Still? No, no he was like, they, they could have just walked away. They could have just yeah. walked away. And that's the crazy thing. Like you the Yankees don't they've had three managers since nineteen ninety six. Okay. Like they don't do like they're. I feel like they're forcing it. Like you know, Tory was there for twelve years. Girardi was there for a decade, and they're like, okay, we want to be project some kind of stability. But like, just admit you made the mistake. The worst mistake is that you're doubling down on it, and and that's what Cashman does. Cashman never admits when he's wrong. Cashman doesn't overpay for prospects. Cashman doesn't go all in, and he's not going to admit that he's that he made a mistake. So. That's just, that's just the prop. The problem I think with the organization is that they, it's two things. So one thing is like, you want to, you want to say, okay, you, you, it's not Boone. That's the problem. We're telling you it's not Boone, but this organization is so incredibly non-transparent. You have no idea what anybody does. You have no idea what real injuries are, or what actually is going in uh, to, to the organization. So it's like, I have, I have to assume it's him. He's the face of the organization, right? You want to say it's the coaching or whatever. These coaches have been around for a while. So like, if you're not, you have to be able to corral them and you can tell that this locker room is not together, that, that these players are not pumped to, to play the game of baseball, which is like, you look at someone like Alex Cora uh, and, and I, I hate to look at someone like Alex Cora with all the success he's having, but it's because he gets, the team to buy in they have role players who buy into their role that aren't trying to hit 40 home runs a season uh and and, you know just trying to actually fit what the team needs them to do the other thing is that they kind of live half in half out so they can always have something to justify them not doing something right so they they make the call signing or they trade for Giancarlo Stanton but then that does not justify you trading Luis Sessa in the middle of the season to get out of Justin Wilson's contract. Right. That doesn't justify you trading Adam Adovino to the Red Sox of all teams. Let, the, Red Sox. Yeah. the Red Sox, two best relievers were Yankees last year, Garrett Whitlock and Adam Adovino. And the Yankees just gave them to him. Just gave them to yeah. him. They, they decided Albert Abreu is worth holding on to, but Garrett Whitlock now who is shutting it down in the postseason for the Red Sox 
and Adovino, who was their best reliever all year. Those are the guys that you want to get rid of. And I don't think Adovino was great for the Yankees last year, but you don't like the last thing you do is give him to a division rival for free. And you gave them a prospect on top of it so, so they can eat money. Like that was, I, that's still going to like, it, it, it's going to haunt me for like, however long this core is together. And, and this, Basically, this window is going to be unless they win some kind of championship. Like this window is going to be. You got two years left on the window. You got two years left on the window. Yeah, and it's and the 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 window will be defined by that move if they do not win a championship. Yeah, and that's and that's just that's that's the shittiest part about it. And um, there were like two particular quotes that really irked me in that entire press conference. The first one was like, uh, I guess they brought someone brought up. Um, the Dodgers and you know how they spend money and develop players and Brian Cashman just goes well the Dodgers are a unicorn like so you just flat out just said that spending money and above average rate and being the ability to develop players is impossible that's what you just said that's what you admitted on camera uh, on television that that that's that their model of success is is impossible to replicate right and great, then, and great, then reaching good, good. reaching where the Dodgers are at is not possible uh, amongst what Brian Cashman believes. Yeah, good, 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 good. That's a that's a real real solid. Uh, yeah, I'm really gonna charge over the hill now uh, for you, Brian Cashman. Like fuck you with that. Like <laughs> like straight up, just fuck you. Uh, so, that that that's that, that's a really sour. Especially too, because it's not like we've had we've had a fantastic farm system for the past ten years. 10 years or so, fantastic farm system with so much talent that comes up. It has shown that they are MLB capable. We have people right now uh, that are currently still performing, like an Aaron Judge or a Severino or something like that. But you have the ability to continue to put the, 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 the time and effort into developing these people. And now you have like these guys like Jason Dominguez and Anthony Volpe. It's like, are they going to be the next Davey Garcia, right? Are they going to come up, maybe do well, and then the next year just be absolute dog shit? Uh, so – you're wasting these people with the people that you have in, in, in process. And it's like, what is our player development? What, what are, what, how much money are we putting into things that aren't analytics? Right. Yeah, I don't Dave, even know what analytics. Yeah. And, and like yeah, David Garcia went from starting a playoff game for you last year to you. He wasn't trusted to even be called up at all this year. He was that bad. Right. He regressed that much where, where, where the Yankees were starving for pitching that a kid that, was was in your playoff rotation or made a playoff appearance when they did the stupid fucking opener thing last year uh to 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 being nothing to being like you have no he has no value uh to trade like you have to hope that he he you can fix him which they've shown zero ability to be able to do so um and and then the the other question i guess the other quote that really irked me from the press conference i guess we we kind of touched upon it was like uh, Cashman was like, "How how dare people question if Hal St- if Hal Steinbrenner uh, is all in on this team if he's putting winning above everything else? Like you have twice now in this in this core's championship window where you've cut payroll by sixty million dollars mm-hmm. a year to get under a fake salary cap, a salary cap where even if you go over when the Red Sox went over." Uh, and outspent everybody and won the World Series, actually won the fucking World Series in 2018. You know how much they paid in uh, in, in the revenue sharing or the, the tax? 
They paid $22,000 to each team. That was it. After, after everything, because most, most of the money goes to like player benefits or something like that, or into like their pension. So like the, this line of, we don't want to go over the tax, so it's, it's, it's helping uh, the other teams in the league like that's such bullshit. Like they paid twenty two thousand dollars. That's like more than that's less than like uh, what John Carlos Stanton like makes an at bat is what you <laughs> is what you paid. Yeah, and that's not even like it's it's just incredible that like that this team and this messaging can be so tone deaf. Yeah, and and like I guess the only positives that I I guess I could take out of this whole thing is that possibly this means that they're going to do some serious uh roster shakeup that they're bringing have Boone to. back they have to they absolutely have to and i think that they gave that indication that you know everything's kind of on the table here and especially given the 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 trade deadline where you talked about you know getting the left-handed bats and getting some people more contact oriented in and rizzo and people that are more athletic in uh, a gallo even though he does strike out uh, too much for the lineup. So uh, I, I do believe that a, l- a lot of changes are going to be coming. Like I think outside of judge and Stanton and probably Aaron Hicks, cause he's still signed for another five years uh, and LeMahieu, I think everybody else, there's a possibility that they, they will not be here next year. So I, I agree with you. I, I I feel like the only way that the fan base doesn't go for blood on opening day, right? First of all, they they can't go like lose the first series. They can't even lose game one in the opening, or else the fan base is going to be brutal to them. But the only way that they're going to like the fan base is going to be like, okay, I can get excited for this team again right now is if you go sign a Corey Seager and a Freddie Freeman or something of that nature. You have to get. You have to have an 09, uh, 08 offseason for 09 type of reaction to this. You have to. Uh, but my worry is, is that the full execution of that process, because they will sign at least one superstar. They're absolutely going to. Right. My money's on Seager. I think that they're going to have to. They, they have to. They, they should have done it with Harper. Uh, maybe you could have made a case against mm. Machado, but that you should have done it with Harper. Nobody, everyone mm. knew that. Um, but it's the execution, right? So if they do make that $45 million contract, then it'll take to get Corey, Corey Seager or whatever it is. Probably, I think the market right now would, for someone like him will probably be like $45 million a year, or, or I, I would guess. But what does that mean then for the rest of the team? Are they going to do something reasonable, like getting rid of like a Luke Voigt type? It doesn't have to be Luke Voigt, like to make the room. Or is it, again, where, okay, now we got him, but let's get rid of, I don't know, Aaron Judge, because that's my – biggest worry with this team is that it's been in the news cycle for too long now for soft rumors about Yankees exploring options on Aaron judge Yankees exploring options on Aaron judge like are they going to do something stupid and drastic to accommodate the big signings that they're going to do that's what I'm terrified of yeah and well I I want to add because I think one point that I was going to mention a a few minutes ago but you guys kept answering all my questions before I uh, even got a chance to, to ask them right but when you do that move, like you mentioned before, when you trade for Giancarlo or you sign Garrett Cole, you said it's not a reason to then stop do like continuing to sign people, right? It's actually, like you said, the exact opposite. You're supposed to then double down even further, right? If you sign, uh, and I'm going to use a basketball analogy because it's a little easier to understand the, the construct of how many people are on a roster, right? If you sign a max player, 
that is supposed to bring you to a championship, you don't just stop there. You have to then exhaust every single resource possible to keep that window open for the next one to three or four years if you're lucky, right? Like when you sign a LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers were exhausting every possible resource until he left, until they were barren, until they had nothing left to prove or nothing left to even do except suck after he left, right? You have to risk that, and they got a championship out of it, and they don't regret it for one damn second. You don't think they would suck for the next five years if they could, you know, have that championship with LeBron? So that is frustrating, and it shows the disillusionment out of the the Yankees franchise and Brian Cashman, and it reminds me, unfortunately, of what's going on in New York with the Giants as well, right? And we talked about with Danny Ainge and the Celtics last year, that parallel between Ainge and Cashman and how they've been doing this for so long at such a high level. Is there a regression point? Is there a point where they can't do it at that high of a level anymore? And this Giants always had this... uh, stranglehold on the league in the sense of they're going to be solid. They're not going to shoot themselves in the foot from an organizational standpoint. The Yankees were that times 10, and now they're continuously doing the opposite, and they're in that realm where it's just their name value keeping them above water. It's not their actual maneuvers. Now, I can sit here as a Mets fan and say, you know, this sounds really sad for you guys, but you've still been in the playoffs every year. That being said, every single year, Las Vegas says the Yankees are a top three favorite to win the championship, and they haven't even sniffed it in that time frame. So I understand your guys' frustration, and it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to even wrap your head around it because Brian Cashman holds so much power over that organization that no matter what he says, it doesn't even mean it's going to lead to anything. That being said, I was going to ask you guys what you thought uh, needed to be done to not make you guys freak out before the season starts. You kind of answer that. So anything else to add on that front in regards to what needs to happen before the season starts? Because chips are on the table, I imagine, for Cashman right now. But also, the way he has handled this press conference, he's kind of acting like he's done his job and it's not my fault. It just hasn't worked out because it's not but not my fault, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's a constant passing of the buck, and that's what gets frustrating, right? It's it's It starts at the top. Hal needs to be a hands-on owner who's okay to spend the money that he should be spending until he starts doing it. And that's not just about, you know, actual players. It obviously is the largest portion of that, but they need to put so much money into player development and to the right type of analytics and things like that. Yeah. And, and there, there was this, um, there's a sentiment, I guess, going around too, that where it's just like, Oh, the Yankees need to hire uh, like a Buckshaw Walter type or something like that. But like, that's not who the manager is uh, anymore. That's just not how the game, you know, a very few exceptions of, you know, that's not how the game is played anymore uh, and managed anymore. And, you know, the by bringing back Boone, the Yankees, you know, just kind of said, hey, we're okay with having the third best manager in the division by a clear margin. And it's not even, not even sure um, if he's the third best manager in the division, never mind in the, in the American league, like, like Cora and uh, cash are clearly um, guys that he's going to have to face and outmaneuver, uh, you know, 18, 19 times a year going forward for the next three, four years. So that's, that's nice to know. Um, but I, again, I guess the only thing that would make me feel better, because honestly, like I, I've never been more 
disillusioned as like a Yankee or like this close to just like being becoming like a baseball agnostic, like just not having a like I don't think I could. Oh, that's where I'm drawing teams. the line. Because yeah, that's I, not true. I, you guys can say that all you want, and then next year you'll be excited. Corey Seager will be the starting tell, shortstop, I, and you'll no, be I'm, fine. I'm telling, I'm telling you, that this, like this, depending on what happens, like this is the closest I've ever said I, I will become a baseball agnostic and just watch the team game and not have a team. Like I'm not saying that. Like, let me ask you. I, let me ask you this question because I actually this is the one thing I really found hilarious about the uh, the interview, and it's from Al- Alex tweet as well. When Cashman said, "Oh, the league's been talking about Aaron Boone, and he's perceived as a great manager. Every, you know, everyone's talking about it." And Alec, uh, <laughs> he highlighted it, or uh, you know, made the analogy to yeah. our former president. Everyone's talking yeah. about Aaron Boone. He's the best manager. Everyone knows it, and everyone wants him to be a manager. What are the actual odds, in your guys' opinion, that if Aaron Boone was let go as the Yankees manager, that he would have another managerial job in the MLB? He would have a job. There would be a job for him. He could go to the Twins or some shit like that. Would he, I though? Mean, there's like, always, what, what? Yeah, there's, there's always... Doesn't I mean, he hold like, a little bit of sentimentality with the Yankees because of his time there that doesn't He played exist? for the Yankees for like a year and a half. He had one big moment with the Yankees. He, he half was a, a season. Half, half a season. He, played, he got traded in the middle of 03... And then he busted his knee out, and that's how they were able to get a Rod. He was A-Rod, there for yeah. he was there for half a season, and he had one postseason moment. He was, was a journeyman great. his whole career, and, and like yeah, God bless yeah. him. I mean, he was, he was happy to get that home run. Don't get me wrong, but like uh, he's not like a, it's not like it's fucking Derek Jeter out there becoming the manager of the Yankees. Like I, uh, I, I've had enough of him. I, I I knew when we when we signed him, like this isn't a guy that like. He's not a guy where if you would at old timers day, I'm like, oh wow, I, I have so many good memories of him. It's like, oh, that's the guy from the thing, essentially, you know? And like that was yeah. a big thing, don't get me wrong, but yeah, he'd have yeah. a job somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um oh, I, I guess I guess to answer your question, Pete, of what the Yankees could do to to make me feel again, they'd have to, you know, they Boone's Boone's very much into the analytics and very much into uh, going off the script. And what's his deficiency is, is that, you know, when things go off the script and, you know, that he has no idea what to do. Um, so as, as if they can yeah. bring in, the first thing they need to do is they can bring in some more um, competent coaches to help him along. Cause clearly uh, Cashman even said to the, he's still a work in progress. Which is that? That was the that was the third best uh, moment of the <laughs> of the press conference for me for Brian Cashman saying that the guy he just gave a three year extension with a fourth year option is still a work in progress. So let's give the work in progress some better coaches that aren't going to I guess undermine the front office's analytics. Uh, I, I guess that that was the rumblings for uh, why. Uh, uh, who's the third base coach that got let go? Phil Nevin. I, Phil Nevin. Why, why Phil Nevin got let go is because he uh, he he bucked the analytic uh, minds a little too much. So they they need again the coaches first. Um, they can be trusted to to help him not pee his pants when uh, a reliever doesn't get the first out of an inning. Um, and second off is they have to spend. They have to use their market advantage and they have to spend um, and they have to shake it up. And again, we're gonna have the, the same problems that the Yankees lineup has always had. They're, they they strike out too much. They're not athletic. They're uh, the sloppy, undisciplined on the base path, uh, you know, and they're they're very prone to errors in the field. So you need to address 
all of those things uh, before uh, I can say, like, I feel any sort of confidence in this team or in the way this organization is going to, to continue to be, uh, to run moving forward. So yeah, uh, it's a big list. It's a, it's a big, big, heavy lifting that uh, this team has to do. And who knows if they're going to have time to do it? Because again, you have the collective bargaining agreement is up in December and who knows if we're a, we're going to have baseball or B what, what the landscape is going to look like beforehand. So are you going to make moves beforehand? So I feel like it's going to be very quiet until we have a new CBA and who knows when that's going to be. Um, so I wouldn't expect any kind of big moves being made until things are figured out. So, uh, so enjoy, enjoy the season baseball fans. Enjoy the, uh, the long winter because spring might never actually come because the, the players association and the owners hate each other. Uh, so a lockout is the close, probably the closest we've ever been to a lockout since uh, 1994. So enjoy it. At least the minor leaguers have housing. Yeah. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. All right, let's switch it up to the New York Knicks. I think we went a little bit long there on that Yankee segment. We got heated, obviously not heated, but Alec and Andrew have some strong takes. Andrew, do you have anything else to say? Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest? Maybe an extra 35 <laughs> seconds. Maybe? <laughs> anything else to uh, get off? No, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to continue to watch the Red Sox and the and the Astros play meaningful baseball. Oh, that that sounded that sounded so painful to say for Yan- or to hear for Yankee fans. But a uh, little inside baseball to keep it baseball for one more second. Our Zoom was ending and we were trying to give Andrew the signal and he got cut off mid mid word. So right after the, yeah, it just ended right on time. It was almost perfect. Mm. So here we are now ready to talk New York Knicks and we're back and we can now be a little more excited, a little more, uh, a little more oomph behind our words here, a little bit more rainbows and butterflies, if you will, for now, like for now, right? Cause there, there's going to be some point in the next 30 minutes talking about this next season coming up where I know it's going to be me, right? I'm going to have to try and calm you down a little bit here, Alec. Because I don't want to see you get hurt. And I've said this in the past. I don't want to see Knicks fan gets hurt, get hurt. So I try to at least play devil's advocate to a point, at least give pushback where I believe there should be some pushback or some cause for concern. But right now, there's warranted excitement. And there's a vibe around this team that's extremely positive. And the roster is better than it was last year. And R.J. Barrett should be better than he was last year, right? So these are all positive, positive things. However, the Eastern Conference is, it might be better than the West for the first time in a long time. So there's a lot of different functions going on here in the NBA, in the East with the New York Knicks. So Alec, let me start off with you. You said it earlier when we are talking about the Yankees that your sports solitude right now, basically, right? Like all the positive things going on in your world of sports have to do with the Knicks. So Talk about those positive things and how weird maybe it is that they're the franchise that are leading you to a happy place in the world of sports. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I can't watch the giants anymore, even though I will, I can't watch the Yankees or listen to the Yankees or anything about that, but I, I will. But with the Knicks, it's like, 
you just every every time that like the word regression comes around you watch what they do and then they just like in every aspect of this offseason they've gotten better right in free agency they did they, they did pretty well with all the all things considered what was out there on the market and then in uh, uh the during the draft like i know it was a bummer to see them trade back a thousand times but quentin grimes looks awesome uh, for for where he was in in the draft, he looks like he's a really good three and D guy. Looks honestly, looks like what I always wanted Frank to be, and that's a bummer because Frank's going to be you know awesome in, in Dallas, and I know we all know that. Um, but uh, everyone knows it. <laughs> um, and then you know, recording this, in progress. They went to summer league, and then they they did well in summer league, right? And then they they, they took those games seriously because everything matters when you're trying to get better we were trying to instill a culture and then they went to the preseason and they were blowing teams out and then they were coming back right and and winning games at the buzzer beater doing things that they need to practice to do in real life and they're coming into the season seemingly incredibly prepared um and then you also have the aspect of hey like I know we, we're running it back. We have continuity on this team for the first time in forever. We upgraded significantly our offense in, in, the, in the areas that we needed. Uh, we have a point guard who can step into a three for the first time in, in I don't know, 50 years uh, on this team. Um, you have, you know, you have depth, like, honestly, probably the, be- the best depth, in my opinion, in the league, arguably so. I mean, you have teams like the Hawks who also have really, really good depth too, but I, I don't know. They, they can do a 50-50 split if they wanted for all the minutes in the game between each, uh, each position on the court. So you have depth, you have a couple injury concerns and, and limitations with a few players, but you have the depth to support that. You have a coach of the year, reigning coach of the year, a reigning most improved player who seemingly looks just as good and how now has some experience under his belt. And you also have the ability with, with this continuity and these young guys with the right bets there, the Taj Gibsons of the world, the Derek Roses, the Kemba's, like you don't have any, any divas on this team. So all these guys know the work ethic they need to put in. They all bought into the, the tip system and you hope to see pretty good player development because that's what we saw last year, right? So you, you think that, not only is RJ Barrett like a, a really good candidate for a huge year this year, but quickly and Obi are going to get better, right? I, nothing would lead me to believe that they wouldn't. Obi looked great at the end of the season and into the playoffs last year. He's one of the few bright spots in the playoffs last year. Quickly, you know, regressed a little bit towards the end, but he had a really solid year. And that's that kind of rookie wall that a lot of, a lot of uh, people hit when they first hit the, the NBA. So there's really no reason not to be excited right now. The only reason is the history of being a Knicks fan, right? And, and that's what, to answer your second question, yeah, it's weird. Um, every year I have the, those, um, you know, uh, delusional Nick fandom uh, thoughts of, okay, well, this year we're going to be good. We're going to be a playoff team. We're going to be an eight seed this year. Not saying we're a title contender or whatever, but this year it's like, you know, I, I think they're a better team than they were last year. They were the fourth best team in the East last year. Yes, I know the East got better, but the Knicks also got better, right? And and not just with the adding those two players, but that continuity is going to be so key. Good teams have continuity. We have not had that in a long time. We have a good vibe there. I'm pumped. Uh, I, I it's, it's, you know, it's weird to have everything rely on the Knicks, but also it's a pretty safe bet. You look around the league right now and there's stories with all these superstars everywhere and everyone's just quietly working three hours after practice on the, uh, on the Knicks right now. Everyone wants to be there. Everyone wants to win. They want to build something. They love this city and they're excited for the season. So that that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, and the one thing that I agree with the most out of all the things you said, because I agree with pretty much pretty much everything you just said there, other than perhaps the 
the true ceiling expectation on where they're going to end up in the East. Cause you didn't say specifically what you think, but I think you're, you're projecting a little bit higher than I might. However, what I second agree- round playoffs, that's my, ex- oh, that's, God, that's my that expectation. Would be, that would oh. be, that would be a chef's kiss, but let's talk about this roster, right? Cause that's what it's all about. At least for this regular season, they're built to win in the regular season. 1 million percent. Now, does that mean 50 wins? No, probably not. Right. But it's possible. It's in the realm of possibility. They would have won 47 in a full season last year. So it's in the realm of possibility. It's just perhaps a a slight, um, it's not slight, it's unlikely, right? You can bet on the Knicks to win 50 wins and get incredible odds in that favor because their over-under is 41 and a half. But this roster is deep, man. Their bench was a killer last year. They crushed people with their backup unit. When you saw Derrick Rose getting six-man chitter-chatter, you had Emmanuel quickly making big shots off the bench. Alec Burks, we saw what he was able to do in the playoffs when Mitch and Nerlens and Todd are healthy. They have a multitude of backup bigs to do positive things on the court for that backup unit. And Obi Toppin is proving to be a useful player now. He looked pretty rough last year for most of the year. And then at the end, he turned it on. And then in the summer, he seemed to unlock a lot of those talents that we thought he had coming in and put them to the test in preseason and in summer league, which we're not going to hang our hat on too much, but it's something to look forward to. It's something to believe in when you look at Obi for the first time in a Knicks uniform. And that was just mentioning all their backups. I expect this bench fully to be a huge advantage for this team again, moving forward. The only problem with that is Tom Thibodeau's the coach, right? Will he be playing the bench as much as they need to to make those crooked numbers consistently against opposing benches? I, I think Tibbs' hands will actually be kind of tied in this situation because Mitch tends to be a little banged up. They can't play him 36 minutes a night. Kemba is older in his career, and he can't play 36 minutes every night. He's either going to have nights where he takes off or plays in the 20s. Right, So that right there, those two positions are going to open up opportunities for Rose quickly. Toppin, Noel, who played really well last year. So the roster construction makes sense. The the depth is a huge advantage. And now the one piece I haven't really mentioned yet is an aspect to offense, specifically offense, that we didn't have last year. And I'm not going to now say that Evan Fournier is changing the, uh, the whole fortune of this franchise but offensively specifics, he changes what they can do and who they are night in, night out. He's you have four scoring options on on the starting five right now. You have four score, and Mitch is still is a scoring option, but he's not a shooter. Right, he's but a rim you, runner and very good at it. And and, and it, like RJ was had a huge year last year. He's still not that guy. He might be. He might become this year. Who knows? He's, I, he's closer clearly to gotten better. Yeah, he's getting better and better every year and no no signs of stopping so far and everyone kind of expects that but you I understand why some people weren't hyped about Evan Fournier and like the, the and not just him but the idea of that because you overpaid a little bit but you're not overpaying him because you expect him to be worth that. You're overpaying him because you need a guy like that on the roster, but the reality of the situation is if he doesn't have to perform to that level of the contract for for him to be an add to that team, right? He is going to be at the very best case scenario, the third scoring option on that uh, on the offense on the starting unit, right? 
The reality of the situation too is that he's probably the fourth scoring option on the team, right? You're going to have Kemba, and, and and if Kemba's healthy, Kemba's a better offensive player than Evan Fournier is. Evan Fournier has never had the ability to really do that in his career. To be a Not takeover be guy, the, yeah. yeah, exactly. He he's never he's always had to be a one or a two. And I know he went to Boston, but we know what happened there, and it was just kind of a muffled couple weeks or however long he was on that team, but. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have to be the guy here. This team is very, very, very balanced. The yes. one thing I worry about is their ability to guard guards and getting into the paint. Well, before you get into that, because I, I have those questions to get to in a second, let me talk about Fournier. So what people can expect, truly what they can expect as an offensive piece, because I don't think a lot of Knicks fans have watched a ton of Evan Fournier, realistically, right? You know him from some stats. You know him from when the Knicks play the Magic, whatever. This guy is a steady, steady offensive player. He's not going to often give you 30, but he can do that on occasion, which is important because the Knicks had minimal, minimal people who can do that last year. It was Randall almost consistently, Derek Rose on occasion, and that was pretty much it, right? So Fournier can be a guy with the variance of scoring in the high 20s and 30 every once in a while, but what he will definitely be is a 16 to 20 point per game every single night guy. And him as that fourth option is probably the role he was supposed to be in the NBA all along. But because the Magic struggled offensively, he actually had to do more than what he was supposed to do in this league. And that led to some good numbers. He never lost a ton of efficiency. He always shot pretty well and facilitated pretty well. And now if you take that that nice little balance of not being asking him to do too much, but still giving him the freedom to do as much as he can, it might be the best situation for him offensively that he's been in in his career despite his numbers not being at the peak of his offensive numbers in the uh, in his career and I, also, think the most imp- I think the most important thing is this like the the knicks got some offensive weapons because i think looking at back at the playoffs last year they you know they didn't have you know outside of um of rose of someone who you could like and randall who could like actually shoot the ball and, and create some kind of scoring opportunity and again uh, Fournier, it can give you that steady kind of offense, but it's just another option for the Knicks. And I think since they don't have the guy, I think having those smaller pieces that can surprise you and at least give you a, a you can go into the, the night having some kind of benchmark for the production uh, that they can give you. I think that that can it's nothing but a positive for the team going forward. So uh, I very much like the signing um, overall. Now the one thing one thing I have a question is because you the Knicks are realistically 13 players deep, right? Like I'm not saying that the bottom 3 of that 13 are studs, but they could be solid role players. I see I could see a Quentin Grimes being a solid role player for the Knicks. I could see uh Kevin Knox as a three-point specialist on the Knicks. His defense is horrible, but he the reality of the situation with Kevin Knox is that guy is lethal from three if he gets into the game, but you just can't guard anybody. But there's a there's room for that in the NBA. How are the minutes going to be divided? And you don't want to like, and and obviously there will be injuries that sort certain things out, but Tibbs now has the opportunity to be creative with his lineups mm, uh, and to be creative. What would you say? Not happening. I know, but I mean, at the same time, he, he like did some stuff that's kind of out of character for him last year. He did some stuff that's very much in character for him. You know, the, the Randall and, and Barrett <laughs> playing the minutes that they pay, played right. is very much, in but he let the rookies run, you know, he let quickly do his thing last year. Uh, he 
was very, very uh, like uh, modern with the three point ball on the team. I know it wasn't the volume, but they're doing it now, clearly in the preseason and the summer league and what they're trying to do. So I don't know. I, I think that you, if this would be a really good opportunity for him to do it. If he doesn't do it, I think it'll be a loss, right? To, to put some creative rotations out there for the right time. Now that you have a, fo- a solid foundation in place of what the team is going to do, what the expectation is that you can tinker around with this now, because you ha- you should have faith in certain folks that weren't necessarily there two years ago. I, I don't think it's going to mean we're going to see McBride and Grimes. I think we're not going to see them very much. Unfor- like fortunately or unfortunately. And then also on top of that, I don't know exactly how much Obi we're going to see. And that's probably the more disappointing version of this because if he still wrong. plays, well, they, wrong, I know, wrong, I know he was playing Randall and Obi together in the preseason, but there's still a chance that Obi is going to end up with what? 16 minutes a game, not 26 minutes a game, right? No, I don't, but I don't think he is ready for 26 minutes a game. Although sure. he might be, he might be the player that benefits from a little bit more flow with the offense, but from being in the game more, um, but I don't know. I, th- I think I like there's and it's not just that, like you have to get Taj Gibson minutes too. Taj Gibson is Quality. still a val. He's a valuable what, player. What did I text the, you the like, other day? He, what, what, what specifically? We talk about Taj for like 45 minutes. Yeah, he, he just knows what to do, man. He yeah. knows what to do on the basketball court. One of the most underrated things in the NBA. Yeah, he's he's a he's a pitcher. He's a finesse pitcher after he was a power pitcher for, for a long time. And he just kind of reinvented his game. I mean, we were talking about because the everyone in, in Nick's world is saying, "Oh, he'll be on the coaching staff next year." I'm like, "Why the hell would he be on the coaching staff? He can still play. He can still be a contributor on a winning basketball team." Um, and so you have like, I, I'm not saying I don't think Deuce McBride is there yet. Uh, I'm not talking about Jericho Sims or anything. But realistically, Kevin Knox, Quentin Grimes, and Taj Gibson would be getting minutes on 90% of the teams in the league right now if they were on their t- uh, on their team. So. Um, I don't believe always that it's a good problem to have or sometimes, you know, it, it, cause it's that old, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one right. situation. Yeah. You want to, you want to allow every, everyone to develop it. But at the same time, Tibbs also runs practices like they're real games because he's a psychopath, but um, it, it works and allows people to get better when they're not actually playing game time minutes. Yeah. And how cool is it that, uh, Tom Thibodeau is going to be Derek Rose's best man at his wedding. It's like the coolest. Thing I didn't know ever. that. That's awesome. Yeah. Really? I came out this week uh, that Derek Rose asked Tom Thibodeau to be his best man at his, you know, I think this is Derek Rose's second marriage, but nonetheless, pretty, pretty incredible stuff. <laughs> Drew, did you see, did you see uh, his, his fiance's engagement ring that, uh, that Derek Rose gave her? No, I didn't. As big as my it's big, big toe. Yeah. It's, it's as big as my house. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gigantic. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's outrageous. Did he, did he, it's is it bigger than the the kobe cheat ring or like uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't remember what the kobe cheat ring is, but i swear to god it's it was big. like it's like the it's like the size of my airpod case like yeah, it's I, no no joke that's not that big of an exaggeration if at all if at all uh <laughs> well, I'll, I'll do some googling yeah no, well so why you do that google there let's talk about the defensive side of things because after that we're going to kind of go through the eastern conference quickly and match our new york knicks up against the rest of the East and see where we think we, you know, we see them ending up in the Eastern Conference standings because there's variation in what Knicks fans believe, in what NBA fans believe, and what Las Vegas, a.k.a. the sports books, are kind of projecting it based off of over-unders because I think there's a little bit of a tease going on with that number. It's a little bit like they're, they're almost begging us, New Yorkers, to just hammer this over at 41.5. But before we get to that, let's talk about the defense. 
yeah, that, okay. that looks like a championship ring. Holy shit. We weren't exaggerating, right? <laughs> no. It looks gonna, like every time yeah. she walks through a door, it's going to get banged up. Like that thing is going to be knocked on the floor and somebody, some lucky person walking around Manhattan is going to have that and, and just find that thing. Yeah. It's wild. That's, that's crazy stuff. It really is. So with the defensive stuff, to get back on track for a second, last year the defense was so legit, right? There's part of uh, the narrative that comes out, through, honestly, maybe like a quarter of the way and then a half of the way and then all the way through the end of the season that opponents were not making a high percentage of open jump shots and open three-pointers. No, it's going to come back to the mean. It's going to regress. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. And it never did. And you can argue it maybe it did against the Hawks, but really what happened there is we got outclassed by an offense led by an elite offensive player. When our we had no Mitch supposed we had, yeah, no, we exactly. had nobody to guard. We, we, we Noel was outclassed. We didn't have a starting center actually. No, no series. neutralizing factor for Trey Young. The team was probably a bit deeper than ours at that point in time. They were way better offensively, and we just couldn't keep up. It is what it is, right? But the defense was the bread and butter last year. The effort was the bread and butter last year. This is the question, Al, because I think they got better on offense. Did they get better on defense? Could you argue they got worse because of Kemba Walker playing presumed 28 to 32 minutes a game? They They didn't get better, but I definitely don't think they got worse, and I'll tell you why. It's because nobody on that team last year was an elite one-on-one defender. Reggie was an above average defender. uh, And and really he was, and and people will say Peyton, but Peyton was dog shit on, on, on defense. Like I I know he had the ability to lock people up, but he also got blown past a lot. Could have stopped Uh, that Peyton was dog shit. Didn't have to specify. (laughs) Well, so, so, I mean, you, you lost Bullock. Fournier so far in, in in the preseason, again, I understand it's preseason. He's tough. He's he, tough. He's He looked good on defense. He's not so bad. Have, not great yeah. on offense, though. He a little struggled a little bit offensively in the preseason. But again, they still won those games. That's what I'm yeah. That's what we're, I'm trying to say about Fournier is that, like, you can absorb him be, having off nights, even if it happens more times than it doesn't. If he has the capability to contribute on some nights, like, I think he's a pretty stable guy uh, to have on the offense. But anyway, with, with Kemba, Yes, his defense lacks, but our team defense is what makes our defense elite. It's not one-on-one defending. The help defense is there. The allowance of certain shots and the uh, you know the, the 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 smart awareness of where you are on the floor, uh, stemming from the vets and the people who know how to be in a, in a Tibbs defense. Um, that's what's going to keep us there. So yeah, there's going to be people that can blow past a Kemba Walker if if you know Everybody. you have a. a Would you say everybody? Yeah, yeah, but it's going to happen. But you you live with that because now your offense opens up so much more when you can't just you you have to play him on the line on the perimeter. You have to. You can't because he has shown in his career from college to now that he can make a a step into a three at any point when he wants to. Um, And I don't care if he has injury concerns when he's on the court. That's a worry. So. The trade-off there, when you still have four other guys that can play really solid team defense together, you can absorb that. And listen, top guards in the league are going to get their points regardless. Like, even if Peyton was the best version of himself, or you look at like a Ben Simmons or something like that, the top point guard in the league is still going to put up their 20-something points a game, and and you'll live with it. So if your offense adds an extra 20 points from the point guard position that you weren't getting in in, in Alfred Peyton – 
you that they didn't get worse in my opinion you know the the net still went up in our in our favor it did yes. the, the net rating for the for offense and defense for the next still went up significantly uh because i don't think you lost much with bullock uh in the fact that i think rj again i i do think he's gotten better and better each year like significantly so and i think he looks pretty solid on defense he was a uh, he was, I know Bradley Beal got hurt towards the end, but he was locking up Bradley Beal uh, whenever he, he played against him. So um, I feel like he played against him twice in, in, in the preseason. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. You also, you also have to remember that the team's going to get better. It's a very young team that has a couple of veterans, but the, they're, they're learning under the right people. And I don't know, defense is what this team is built on. So I don't think they got, they got worse really at all. The R.J. Barrett side of things is so important because we've said it since day one. He cares, bro. And and you can't always quantify that. You can't because, you know, some people say they care and some people say they want to be better on defense. Some people say that they worked on their jump shot in the offseason. Some people post videos on their Instagram that they, they worked on their jump shot uh, in the offseason. Shout out. Bro, even out Mitch, Mitch is finally doing the work now. Mitch is finally, I, I don't know if you follow Mitch on Instagram. We all know that he was shooting threes for forever. He posted an Instagram on his story today where he was working out, like doing leg, uh, leg lifts or something like that at eight o'clock at night. He said, should have been doing this for the past four years. And for that, like, I apologize. He said it however yeah. he said it, but that's a huge thing for someone My like My boy's him. thick right now. Yeah, but but like knowing what he's supposed to be doing, buying right. into it, you have quickly and topping every night, putting in ten hours in the gym or whatever the hell they're putting on. Randall putting in, clearly putting in the work after he was getting run out in New York. You have, and then you have the the Derrick Roses and the Taj Gibsons who know exactly what they need to do to to, to be competitive in this league, especially in a tip system. And you know, Kemba's never had a problem in this league really outside of injuries. So I, I don't know. It's just like everyone's putting the work and everyone is bought into this culture for my whole time being a Knicks fan. We wanted a culture. This is the exact culture we needed. And to get all, you know, 17 players on the roster right now bought into that culture, which is not an easy culture to buy into because it requires you to have to put in a shit ton of work. It's awesome. Yeah, it absolutely is. And all right, that you basically just summed it up there. RJ Barrett, puts in that work, he is expected to make a jump for good reason, and I'm, I'm with that. I see him doing it for the next couple of years, and honestly, throughout his whole career, adding things to his game and caring night in, night out to be a defender, to be a scorer, to be a facilitator, to be a dude. And I don't know if that means all-star this year just yet, but it's going to mean closer to it and closer to it again after that. So that's what we expect from RJ Barrett, and we love to have him on our team. So now let's run through the Eastern Conference team's uh, and talk, it, baby. talk through it. So let me remind people real quick. If you were with us last year, uh, were we Subway Sports? Yeah, yeah, we were Subway Sports Talk when, yeah. when um, the NBA season started last year too. I yep. went through this with Alec, and I was dead wrong. So actually, I have a clip here from, from my guy, John Lucas Duffy, who's usually a Knicks hater. I played it um, at the end of the season last year, and I'm going to play it again now for just a second because it just to remind everybody of where we were at going into last year's Knicks season where I picked the over with some confidence. Alec obviously picked the over. I went, and then I'll, I'll get to the rest in a second. Here, here's Duffy last year. This is last season before the season started where he was optimistic and it still wasn't close. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this one off. Knicks fans, I'm riding with you this season. I, I think from what I've seen in the preseason and from how I felt about Obi Toppin, how I felt about Kevin Knox, almost gave up on him, didn't. It's going to be a good year between Kevin Knox and Lonzo Ball for me and for uh, Pete. I just think 
the Knicks are going to be actually fun to watch this season if you're if you're a Knicks fan. Like you're going to have between R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, uh, and Emmanuel Quickly. You are always going to have someone. One of those guys is going to have a good game. You know, even throwing Amari Spellman there. Like one of those guys is going to have a good game every night. <laughs> that part's funny. <laughs> so there's always going to be a young piece to point to and say, all right, you know, like he's shown some flashes. You know, this that. There's no old heads on this roster that's going to be taken away any minutes except for, you know, Julius Randle, Nerlens Noel. That's fine. You know, Austin Rivers, you need those guys to kind of spot up a little bit. Dennis Smith Jr., if he gives you anything, that's a fat bonus. So I'm excited for the Knicks, and I say that unironically this season. I'm definitely taking the over because I think they're at least a game better than the than the Cavaliers. So I'm uh, taking the over. So so with all the positive yeah. things he just said, and obviously there's a couple of funny ones there, Omari Spellman, Austin Rivers, Dennis Smith, obviously didn't matter at all, right? And he totally underplayed what no one expected to be a great season from Randall. That was optimistic. And for a non-Knicks fan to be that optimistic, I think we all shared that at minimum. And I went through the Eastern Conference last year, and I said, oh, the Heat are better, and the Celtics are better, and the Hawks are better. And I said that the... Uh, the the Raptors are better. And I said, all these teams are better than the Knicks. And Alec was like, I don't know. I don't think this team's better. I don't think the, the Raptors are better. I think they're banged up. I don't think the Pacers are better. And you were right, Al. You were 100% right last year. Broken clock, baby. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So now we get to do that same game again. And there's obviously a few teams who are better. So we're not going to talk about the Nets and the Bucks. They're in a different freaking class than the New York Knicks, and we can all agree on that, right, Alec? Are, I don't know. That, then, I don't know that the I, Nets I, and the Bucks are in the same class anymore. I, I don't know what's going on with the, the Nets. They look pretty bad tonight. I know it's game board, but and I was gonna say, did the Nets get better with uh, with Kyrie just doing Kyrie stuff? The, you net, know? the Nets are sneakily extremely deep as well. Not worried about yeah, game they, one. They're, yeah, yeah they're, I'm, I'm the not saying they're not better there. than the Knicks. They're better than the Knicks. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't know that. Like it used to be, the Nets. Uh, the Bucks and the Sixers in one group, and then there was the next group of people. I think it's pretty much the Bucks at the top right now. So, like, so until if, proven otherwise. So if the Bucks, so fine, I'll, I'll say that for now. The Bucks could be tier one. The tier two that's still clearly above the Knicks includes the Brooklyn Nets. I'll say sure. it, it still includes the Philadelphia Sixers. 76ers because of Joel Embiid. And then we get this other group. Now the rest of the Eastern Conference is probably to be argued for tier three of where they land. Right. About six teams there. So let's go through the teams, and then I'll tell you my take, Alec, and you tell me where I'm wrong. So we have the Miami Heat over under 48.5, the Atlanta Hawks 47.5, Celtics 45.5, Pacers and Bulls at 42.5, Knicks at 41.5, and and then the Hornets and Raptors at 38 and 35. Okay, so those are the teams in the realm of the Knicks, give or take up, give or take down, right? So I'm saying this. The Atlanta Hawks are better. The Atlanta Hawks, I think, are the fourth best team at minimum. I think they can actually catch the Sixers on a record standpoint this year. I think the Hawks are a better team than the New York Knicks, and I I have no way of debating the Knicks are better. What you want me to? I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't think that's a bad take. Uh, I don't know that I I don't know that I think they're definitively better. I, I think that a lot is going to depend on a lot of things, right? Uh, I mean, they were there was points in the last season where coaching for them was uh, they, they were not bought into the system. There was in-house fighting and things like that, that very well could arise. Um, 
I think that there were some injuries there in the beginning that weren't there towards the end of the season, and that that helps. And they also had a lot of young guys that developed and made the right signings. That being said, I, I really like I don't think I think you there's a very clear argument to be made for the Knicks and the fact that the A, they beat them, what was it, three out of four times or two out of three times, two, however many times three, they played yeah. them last year. Yeah. And then when they lost them into the, the playoffs, not having Mitch was really important because the entire offense was just running around, Trey penetrating into the paint and then just passing off to Clint Capella 90% of the time. Right. So and hitting floaters. Uh, what'd you say? And hitting floaters, which Mitch makes harder. Exactly. So like, you can't do that. You like, you can't do that with Mitch. And I know I, I do worry a little bit about Mitch because I don't think he has nearly the amount of stamina he needs to have right now. Um, he looks winded out there. I mean, granted it was one game, but um you know, I don't know how long it'll take, but by the end of the season, if Mitch is healthy and we're in the playoffs, that's a different team dynamic. And then additionally, we couldn't score, obviously. Uh, that was a huge part of what we did, uh, didn't do. And now you have you have Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. And Ke- Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, if they are 80% of what they were for the past three years combined or whatever it is, that is a huge, huge, huge upgrade for this team. And the other thing that I that the, the Hawks had last year that the Knicks didn't have was the players on the rise and developing as the season went on. The Knicks now have that. The Knicks have foundational pieces. They had a couple. They had the RJ and everything like that. But players that are going to continue to get better, like Kevin Herter got significantly better as the se- season went out. Uh, DeAndre went Hunter was awesome. The, exactly. Like all the all these players. And obviously Trey got better uh, as, the, as that season went on. He, he showed different facets of his game to an extent. So – yes, I think there's an argument for, to be made for both sides of those things. I, I don't okay. think it's clear and definitive. I think I if, if the Knicks finish five games underneath them in the standings, like, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Right. If so you so finish two or three games ahead of them, I wouldn't be surprised either. But you'll concede at least, you know, on paper, the Hawks are, you know, projected rightfully so to have a better record than the Knicks. You'll concede that one. Oh yeah, right. I understand that okay. for sure. But I, I think like th- when the next year comes, like after that, get, it like gets the, muddy. The that's, Sixers. That's why I, I started with the Hawks. I think the, I think the Hawks and the Knicks are on level playing field. Like in, in okay. terms of uh, not Vegas odds because the, they have the pedigree to an extent compared to the Knicks. Right. But um, you know that that's 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 what I would take out of that. And then continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, that's fine. DeAndre Hunter is big for me, and then Bogdan Bogdanovich going into the season healthy versus missing the first like two months of the season last year is big for them from a record standpoint. Not just Lloyd Pierce getting fired and McMillan coming in flipped their season around. It was Bogdan getting healthy and helping that offense cook on a non-Trey Young level, right? And Trey, like you said, developed in other ways besides just being uh, a usage monster and actually facilitating truly, right? Okay. The Miami Heat and Boston Celtics are the next two in this tier here. They're above the Knicks, 48 and 45 projected wins from Vegas here. The Heat have Kyle Lowry. They have Jimmy Butler. Probably the better duo than Randall and Barrett, but maybe who knows by how much. I think I think you still give them the benefit of the doubt there with uh, the vets. The Isn't Kyle staff. Lowry 36? Yes, he is, but he he's still, he's still really good. He's still a really okay. good player. Uh, but... I don't know. I, I don't think you can say definitively the players on the downtick of their career are better than players on the uptick of their career. Like I, I just can't, I can't get behind that. Like they may, they may be, but on paper, I take the team that's on the rise and the team that's on the, uh, the, the I take the players that are on the rise and the players are on the decline. Okay. All right. So the, the heat I have issues with in the sense of regular season, if I'm getting a healthy Lowry and Butler in the playoffs, that's going to be a tough one to choose. 
Um, but I think they can be very similar regular season teams. Uh, now on to the Boston Celtics. We know how weird their season was last year. Tatum and Brown, same concept as, you know, Butler and, and Lowry. I don't think we have, we don't have a Tatum. Randall was awesome last year. The Knicks don't have a Jason Tatum. And Jalen Brown at this point in time is probably a smidge better. Well, I'd say he is a smidge better than RJ Barrett, though that window is closing and RJ is getting closer. So the Celtics with the weird season they came off of, a, a few new pieces, but not a ton of new pieces. Do we think that the Celtics are definitively better than New York Knicks? I have no idea with the Celtics. I, I truly <laughs> Good don't. Answer, they're, 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 answer. they're an enigma. I mean, that's what they are. Like they, they have the talent to be a one seed. If they will, if, if it all clicked together, they got a kind of wonky team. Like the like Tatum and Brown are kind of similar players in a lot of ways. And, you know, they both need the ball in their hands and they kind of don't do it. We'll do play. I, I don't know what their like their splits are when, but from the eye test, I feel like they play, you know, they kind of take away from each other and detract from each other. Um, they also, you know, it's going to be a pretty different team for them this year too. I mean, like, especially towards the end of the season, two of their players are on the Knicks starting five right now. So I I don't really know how that's going to work, but also Brad Stevens not being the coach anymore is also an interesting situation. So I don't know. I really have no idea what to make out of them. I, I always look at them like the Yankees and, I have no idea what the Yankees are going to be next year. I, I have no idea what the Celtics are going to be next year. What I will tell you is that there's no way in hell the Celtics are going to win a, a finals this year. I can say that pretty confidently, I think. Um, yeah. But are they, are they, I don't see them being higher than a five seed, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, they, 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 and I also don't really see them getting out of the first round if they make it to the playoffs too, either. I don't know. I just have a feeling like they don't really match up well against the better teams in the, uh, in the East right now. So, mm-hmm. Uh, they could certainly be better than Knicks. I, w- I would just doubt it because I, there's too many question marks on that team, in my opinion. And the weird part about the Celtics is Brad Stevens, five years ago or three years ago, was getting talked about as yep. somebody you would pick in a fantasy draft after <laughs> about 15 players you take Brad Stevens as your coach. And that obviously <laughs> got proven silly. And now he's the GM, and they got a new guy. Uh, Udo- Udoga is his, is his name. I believe we'll see how that works out. Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, the backcourt there with Tatum and Brown and Robert Williams. They're putting a lot of stock in Robert Williams there. That's going to be a little tough. They bring back Enos Cantor. I, I don't know. I'm with you. It's a, it's a tricky one to, to project on the Boston Celtics. So now we move on to the Indiana Pacers and the Chicago Bulls. I have a strong take about one and <laughs> a lukewarm take about the other. Yeah, well, I don't the, think you, you definitely don't have a, a strong take on the uh, on the Indiana Pacers. <laughs> yeah, and well, the the reason why, well, let me do the Bulls first. The Bulls added Lonzo, they add Demar, and they retain Vucevic and Levine, right? And they have Patrick Williams, who's a young player who I really like. Their bench is not that great. The, I don't know how they're projected to win more than forty two and a half, and I think this is where we have to take our New York hats off and think about the the nation, the country of basketball betters and basketball fans, right? We think about New York being the epicenter and how everyone's going to want to back the Knicks. And I think it's the exact opposite, right? So where I say 41 and a half sounds like a trap number, maybe the Bulls 42 and a half is a trap number where they know the NBA fan across the country is all hyped up on the Bulls and saying, oh, Lonzo, DeMar, Vucevic, Levine, they're going to be so fun. They're going to score a million points, blah, blah, blah. I don't think this team is a five above 500 team with confidence by any means. So I think confidently the Knicks are better than the Bulls. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I feel like everyone and their mother is telling me that I'm wrong on that one, but I agree with you. I feel like the, the, the sentiment out there is that this team is going to be really good, really fun. They could be like, like the ceiling for them is like a two seed in the East. I, I just don't see that. That's insane I mean, to me. But you, like you've seen takes like that, right? I'm not the only one seeing oh, things yeah. like that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I saw someone have them number two and number three in the, in their power rankings for the East. I'm like, in what world do we trust them to stop anybody? What are we What are we yeah. talking about here? Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I just don't see how all those pieces, like those are good individual pieces. I don't see how they all fit together. Uh, you know, I mean, clearly Vucevic and Levine didn't work well together when they they, they lost it like every game when they when, when Vucevic was traded over there. Um, granted, they lost a lot in that trade. I don't know why they made that trade in the first place. That was a horrible trade for the Bulls. Um, but I, I, I just don't see everything clicking together and definitely not in one season because not only are those a lot of like very unique types of players they're all like different types of personalities too and i just don't see that gelling i don't know what the like what the culture is in chicago like it's just kind of a mishmash and, and let's try to figure it out to win games like what's their identity you know what, what are they coming into this season trying to you know say this is what chicago bulls do right i, I don't know i I, yeah. I i they have the talent they have probably more talent in their starting five definitively i would say than the next two um but they're, they don't have a lot of depth. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know. I just don't see how it all comes together, but they, they could, they could totally on paper, their starting five is better than the next, but there's yeah. no continuity there. I don't know. And I think that's the thing there too, right? Even if the bulls in the middle of the season, start figuring it out and start ripping off some wins and they're scoring 118 points a game and they look great on offense, it's going to take time before they start winning consistently. And that'll give the Knicks the edge if they can get off to a solid start to edge them out on a record standpoint because these records are going to be incredibly important with the play-in tournament, play-in situation still being uh, a thing in the NBA, right? So now on to the Indiana Pacers. The only thing that makes me nervous about the Pacers is Rick Carlisle is the new coach, right? They get a little stability there. They all hated, hated their head coach last year. It was well-documented that Nate Bjorkren was hated. like, And that's not an understatement. Nobody liked this man a little bit. So they bring in Carlisle, who's done his best work as an NBA head coach with minimal talent and putting together a ragtag team of misfits to do great things, maybe around one star. Now, I don't know if... He's, he's had two, like, generational players to work with. No, of, um, that, that's fair with, with Dirk and, and Luca. That's, that's, that's totally fair. But I'm even thinking about in between or in Dirk's latter years when they were still competing, and it was because of the others on that team pulling it together, and J.J. Barea running the show for the Mavericks, right? Like That's kind of what I think of with Carlisle hitting his peak as a coach. They have Malcolm Brogdon, who I love. I think he's great. Sabonis is great. Karis LeVert starting injured. T.J. Warren starting the year injured. Miles Turner, is he going to get traded? Their depth is not special, in my opinion. So I think I'm pretty much ready to say I like the Knicks better in the regular season here. And that is pretty much like I'm less confident on that one, but I feel just confident enough to say the Knicks are better than the Pacers. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, but I also don't know if the Pacers are going for it. <laughs> you know, like that's part of the aspect too, is like you hear these, these miles Turner uh, trade talks and it's like, well, maybe they're not really trying to win this year. Maybe they're trying to see what they have, assess the situation that's not really a recipe for winning basketball too. You know, uh, I, Malcolm Brogdon is very good. Sabonis is really, really good. Um, but I don't know, a Sabonis and Brogdon uh, a championship does not make, you know, I, I just don't, I don't see them as being 
a team. Like at best, I think that they're a play-in team. Yeah, I and I agree. So now let me ask you this question because I don't I don't think we need to break down the Hornets real really. Uh, I don't think we need actually. To break. I I think that's the one team that I think could make a really big jump out of the ones that I uh, I think they they um, could jump into the, the Knicks Hawks territory. Oh, they got a lot of young talent. Uh, I mean, they they cut they waved Leangelo Ball, so you know they got instantly better by doing that. Um, <laughs> but I, I I don't know. They just they have a lot of young talent. They 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 have less log jams now with uh, with Graham gone. Um, for the point guard position, you get a full season of of of, of Mello, who was really good player uh, last year, and <clears throat> you have a lot of they they spent a lot of money in free agency and got some really good guys last year. Yeah, um, and they got better as the season went on. Um, and then they fell apart, though. They fell when Gordon Hayward got hurt. They fell apart. Sure, and and that's the that's always going to be concerned. I mean, it hinges on hey, I guess Hayward being. Hayward and having a consistent role on the team and staying on the team, but the same could be said for I mean. Gordon Hayward's injuries on all of the teams in the East, essentially there's a player like Gordon Hayward. The Knicks certainly have them right. And, in, in, in Kemba and, and Rose yeah. um, and Mitch or and, and whatever Mitch. you want to say, you look at, I mean, the Nets certainly have it with KD, you know, uh, outside of the bucks, really. Uh, I can't really think of anybody that has like a, t- a, a doesn't have an important contributor that has significant injury concerns and uh, that, that, you know, you're kind of hinging your hopes on. So yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I think that, I think that, you know, on paper from last year, yeah, they're probably a play-in team, but they have the most potential out of the teams that are around that Nick area to, to make a jump, I think. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I do think the Raptors are frisky. Their over-under is just 35 and a half, but I don't think they're frisky enough to get up to 44. I don't think they're that frisky because they are now relying and turning in this into a youth movement. It's going to be OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, the, the rookie Scotty Barnes, who I really, really like. I don't know if that's going to turn into... Spicy P's not in the plans anymore, huh? Well, oh, spicy, spicy P's still solid, man. I know he gets a lot of crap, but he's still a good player. I think the Raptors are going to be fun to watch and frisky, but I don't expect them to be a playoff team. I think they're ceiling. Are they playing in Toronto this year? They are. Thank you know. Thankfully for them, I felt bad. that was I, terrible I, last year. Yeah, but I mean that that's a huge difference maker. I think this year with full fans in attendance and people like like. We, who knows how much that affected the players in Toronto that, that they were doing that, you know, that they, they had to play in Orlando out of a hotel room or whatever the yeah, case was. Terrible. That, so you, Tampa, I don't know, maybe even, that, more, even worse than Orlando, Tampa. I mean, yeah, well, I, and that makes me think of what, what the Rays are going to do, splitting their time between Montreal and Tampa. That's oh my God. And then they're still going to end up winning the division every year. So, uh, all right, so let's bring Andrew back in here. Andrew, I have a I have a, a take that I got. I'm going to pepper it to you and see what you think. So being the least invested into NBA circles out of the three of us, just in general here, I want to I mm. hit you with this take and see what you think. I had a guy who I worked with who was from Boston. He's a Celtics fan, mm. but he's an NBA fan at large, so I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He texted me about when I posted the over-under or replied to the story on, on Subway Sports Talk Instagram and said... Julius Randle overachieved. This whole team was an overachiever last year. I think they're a regression uh, candidate. And outside of New York, I don't think anyone's impressed by this roster. When you hear a take like that, Andrew, do you think there's validity to that? That people outside of this New York bubble truly don't think this team is special by any means? Uh, Or do you think it's a a bitter non-New York fan trying to just pour some cold water on the Knicks heat right now? I think it's a little column A, column B. Like again, I, I'm I'm excited for uh, Knicks basketball, and I I think they've generally improved here. But again, um, when push came to shove, come playoff time last year, the Knicks kind of showed their true colors here. So 
I can I can understand where that the, Julius Randle, you know, it's going to be hard for him to repeat, uh, you know, the season he had last year. So I, I get that. But at the same time, again, the the depth and the improvements this team made across the board, um, I think it's kind of hard to argue to say that, uh, you know, considering considering everybody else in the in the Eastern Conference that uh, that it's it's not warranted. So uh, again, a little calm, a little calm be there. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I think it's it's a thing that Knicks fans don't want to hear, but a realistic Knicks fan has to kind of take into consideration as a legitimate, you know, cause for concern or cause to just be a little bit cautious about the predictions. And I think we're being pretty cautious, even for you, Al. I thought you were going to come out a little hotter about where the Knicks may end up. So now let's final let's finalize this thing here. Right now, the Knicks are plus one hundred five, plus one hundred five to make the play in to be specifically in the play-in, when you hear those odds, are you frustrated by that? Or do you think that that's a fair assessment of them being in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range? I think it's an opportunity for me to bet against that and bet for, bet for the Knicks to, to, to you know, be above that. I, Minus 132 I, to make the play double down, Double down on your happiness, Alec. Go, go, go buck wild here. Oh, buddy! I, if I if I ever bet with my brain, I, w- I would be a rich man. Uh, but I always <laughs> bet with my heart. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't see them being so. They'd have to be a seven, eight, nine, or ten seed, right? Yeah. Uh, for, for the play-in, mm-hmm. I I see them being at worst a six seed this year, and I see a six seed being realistic. I just don't think that there's there's six teams that are better than the Knicks in the East right now. Um, I really don't. And and you know, we talk about regression all over the place. We don't need Randall to replicate last year. If he if he was replicating last year, we actually have a problem because the the game he was playing last year, we needed him to be the guy that was doing all that. Uh, right. If we need him to be doing that again this year, that's a problem. So you might see regression in terms of maybe he gets like four four points less on his uh, a to, you know points total per his game. Count, his counting stats, yeah, exactly. But like if it, it's all about impacting winning, and he didn't have. Bullock couldn't create his own shot. Bullock could catch and shoot, and we know Alfred Payton couldn't, right? And it, 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 I, I don't know. I, I just I can't imagine that that he him ha- not having those counting stats being up, which is what people are going to point to and say, "Oh, he's regressing." That's not a regression. That's actually a progression as a team, you know. So, yeah, I, I don't. I, I I don't know. I think you have too many people that showed improvement over Tibbs last year. And everyone came back for the most part. You kept everyone that was important. You had to make one tough decision between Burks and, and Bullock. Um, and I think they made the right choice. And they improved everywhere else. And everyone's developing more. So I, 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 nothing would show me outside of, hey, the Knicks have done this for the past 60 years uh, to, to point to me to say that they would regress uh, from last year or from what I saw in the offseason or what I saw in the preseason. All right, here we go. You ready for this? Here's my definitive decision on how I think the East will play out. We got the Brooklyn Nets. I'll say, let's go Milwaukee Bucks, one seed, Brooklyn Nets, two, Atlanta Hawks, three, Sixers, four, Heat, five, Knicks, six, Celtics, seven. And then we go, we go with the, the Pacers, eight, Bulls, nine, Hornets, 10. I think the Bulls are going to have a better season than the Pacers are. Okay. Well, I, I could see. I could also see the Bulls having a better season than the Celtics too. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's ride. Let's put the money on the Knicks I, over forty-one and a half. We're not thinking it's a Vegas trap, are we? No. Also, can I, can I be honest with you? 
I, I, if I'm being real with myself, I think the Knicks could end up with a better record than the Sixers by the end of the year. I don't know what the hell's going on in that organization. Um, they are not going to get a good return back for Ben Simmons. So who knows what that, 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 uh, that starting five is going to look like in, in a month or two. And it's fair because everyone wants to hate on Ben Simmons, but regular season wise, he was incredibly important to their success. And everyone wants to hate how it looked and how it felt with him and Embiid on the court at the same time, but they won a lot of games together. And yep. we went through it earlier, Alec, when we were talking before the podcast. We had a one seed, a strange seven seed for the Celtic uh, for the Sixers, and then three seed, three seed in the last four years. So without Ben Simmons, can they continue to repeat a top tier level Eastern Conference season uh, without that? And they have Embiid, they have Seth Curry and Tobias Harris and whoever and Tyrese Maxey and whoever else you want to tout on that Sixers roster there, it really more so than ever is going to rely on Embiid's health. And we'll see. That's always a question mark. Yeah. All right. There it is. Subway Sports Talk. Knicks preview. Let's go blue team. The Knicks take on the Boston (laughs) Celtics game one. I'm so damn excited. Do you have any other NBA or Knicks prediction, maybe an award MVP take? Just last words, Alec or Andrew, for anything in the Eastern Conference, Western Conference, last second NBA take you want on the record before we say goodbye? Um, I, w- I don't even know if it's a hot take or anything like that, but I, I think RJ Barrett's going to be a top three MIP candidate uh, this year um, and all-star. RJ Barrett all-star. I love it. Andrew, you got anything for us? I think Kimball Walker is actually going to stay... Uh, I think Thibodeau is going to be able to manage his load a little bit more. And I think he's going to stay healthy for a majority of the season. So I expect Kimba to, to, to help out this team and help out this core of young players grow. There we go. And I'll add on from your mouth to God's ears, throw some dollars on Derek Rose, six man of the year, baby. Let's go. Why not? Why people, the hell people not? forget we didn't really start winning, winning until Derrick Rose got traded. We were a different team once he came to, to, to New York. Absolutely. The vibe is real in New York, in the garden, baby. I cannot wait for Knicks basketball to be back in front of my face and, and just taking in a gross amount of NBA games in my life. It's going to be awesome. All right, y'all. New thank York, you. we here. Thank you guys so much for staying up late with me here tonight. We had our Yankees vent session. We had our Knicks mega preview. And now football is around the corner. Uh, not around the corner. The football is still very much here. It's not leaving. So we'll be talking football, obviously, moving forward as well as Knicks basketball. And I don't think we'll get much baseball talk in over the, uh, the next couple of weeks. Andrew, last words, who wins the world series? Uh, I think uh, I'll take Dodgers over Astros in six. There you go. You heard it here first from the man with the Dodgers hat on. There you go. Let's Subway. go baby. Let's go. Subway sports talk. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. Subway sports talk, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You know what to do. Cheers y'all. See ya.